0: I'm Shaharazani, and in the news, Israel-Jewish relations with the Black community. February's Black History Month, which is a great opportunity to discuss the relations between Israel, the Jewish community, and Black communities across America. In January, we commemorated MLK Day, as we remembered his strong stance on Israel and the Jewish community. He said, the whole world must see that Israel must exist and has the right to exist, and is one of the great outposts of democracy in the world. He also said, I solemnly pledge to do my utmost to uphold the fair name of the Jews because bigotry in any form is an affront to us all. We've recently heard Whoopi Goldberg's claims on The View that the Holocaust has nothing to do with race, comments which got her suspended for two weeks from the show. All the while, images continue to pour of Jews attacked in Brooklyn, many of these attacks perpetrated by members of the Black community. What's happening? What does this all mean for Israel and Jewish relations with the Black community? With me to discuss this important topic is the wonderful Dumisani Washington. A few words about our esteemed guest. Dumisani is the founder and CEO of the Institute for Black Solidarity with Israel, IBSI, IBSI, and the former Diversity Outreach Coordinator for Christians United for Israel. Dumisani, thank you so much for joining me today on JBS.
1: Shahar, it's my pleasure to be with you today, sir.
0: So so first of all, let's start with uh, a passion of mine, which I was so privileged to hear that it's a passion of yours. Um, That is Israel and Africa, the importance of the continent of Africa, the people in Africa for that connection between the Black community, Israel and the Jewish people. Share with us a little bit about that aspect of your work and passion.
1: Well, it is a centerpiece of the Institute for Black Solidarity with Israel. We believe that any effective Israel advocacy within the black community, whether in the States or any other part of the Western world without throughout the African diaspora has to have at its core, Israel's relationship with Africa. This really goes to the very beginning, the genesis of even before you get to the discussions about the black Jewish synergy in the 20th century and all of those things. And as a pastor, as a, as a man of God, uh, for me, the foundation of it really does go back to the relationship between the queen of Sheba and King Solomon in Jerusalem, right? This 3,000 years ago, this African queen. And for those, sometimes it's controversial whether or not she's African queen. Well, she's actually the descendant of Cush, as it actually says in the scriptures. There. So Sheba is this actual part of the same region. This African powerful queen travels, what, some 1,500 miles possibly, huge caravan goes to israel goes to jerusalem there's no story like it anywhere in all of the scriptures right and she declares a solidarity actually declares god's love for israel so we believe that our organization though it's not a religious organization the foundation there is that that's how far back we say that israel's first international relationship diplomatic relationship was with an african nation and that's how long it has lasted
0: you know uh well it's very important for our viewers to take a moment because when you're stuck in the quagmire of American media and the discourse that uh, takes place today about Israel, you're sometimes lost in translation. And Mm -hmm. for me, one of the most transforming experiences has been arriving in Africa as an Israeli diplomat and seeing the immense love That's very much embedded in the scripture and that connection between the, uh, you know, many African nations and the nation of Israel. And that's extremely heartwarming because living in this bubble that we live in, we think only about animosity when it comes to Israel. And and to see that outpour of love uh, coming from that direction is really an encouraging factor.
1: We are excited about the fact that something like the Abraham Accords is taking place, Israel's peace with its Arab neighbors. What we continue to say at Ipsy is that Africa doesn't need a peace accord because it's never been at war. Yes, there's been stressors, right? There's been Sudan who aligned with the Arab League. Uh, there have been times, particularly after the 1973 war, uh, that as some of the African nations distanced themselves. But Shahar, you and I both know they, they distanced themselves because of coercion by Israel's enemies, right. not because of something that Africa wanted to do. So we see this continual line that go back 3,000 years, but already Theodore Herzl, right? He actually says, once I've seen the redemption of my people, I want to assist in the redemption of the Africans. Golda Meir, who picks up that baton and runs with it, right, the foreign minister, we have this right to Bibi Netanyahu, the former prime minister. He travels to East Africa. He travels to West Africa. And one of the things that he reports, even to the African leaders, was the outpouring of love and affection for Israel and the Jewish people. This has been the case for thousands of years. And now, especially since the reforming of the state of Israel in 1948, Africans by and large love and support the Jewish state. And as you're right, the media doesn't really capture that. That doesn't get caught up in the whole cultural reality, but it is a truth and it's a reality for for someone like you who's traveled to Africa, you know it to be true.
0: And, and, you know, isn't she amazing? Just for me, how inspirational it is to think about that moment in the 50s when Israel's Golda Meir, uh, a strong woman in politics, long before women, strong women were, you know, in fashion like today. And she goes and meets with these African leaders. And she says, as she writes in her biography, My Life, you know, it's our obligation as a young nation to reach out and work hand in hand with the newly decolonizing nations of Africa to get." Gain from each other's experience, not to teach, but to gain and learn together. These expressions of solidarity and humility, they inspire me. They reverberate in my ears to this very day.
1: Yes, it's amazing what she says. I actually quote her in my book, Zionism in the Black Church, and we do a little discussion about who Golda Meir is. As a matter of fact, I believe it was Julius Nairi. He was the president of Tanzania at the time, called her the mother of Africa, right? And it wasn't, as people, I always tell them, he wasn't saying that in some sort of condescending way towards Africa. He was saying, no, there's this care, there's this love, there's this nurture, and there's this true partnership. As a matter of fact, I quote from Gil Troy's book, uh, Moynihan's Moment, and say by the 1970s, some of the. African economies were so emerging and so strong because of its relationship with Israel that some of the Asian economies were, I mean, Singapore actually came to Zambia to see the university that the Israelis had built, to see the technology. This is what was going on. The tragedy was that after the oil embargo after the 1973 war and then the UN's passing the Zionism as Racism re- Resolution 1975, it caused great strain and a great deal of upheaval in some of the African nations because of that severing of those ties in that sense. Now, they were never completely severed. Africa continued to work with Israel, but it was more behind the scenes, right? There was all these the the shaming that was done because Israel was being cast unfairly in some sort of negative light. And once again, as a colonizer and everything, once again, I'll say this last thing, we cannot diminish the role that the PLO, Yasser Arafat's Palestine Liberation Organization did a real number on the whole, let, Let's let's cast Israel as a racist entity so that anyone who works with her is then seen as being tainted. This was unfortunately an effective propaganda. Good news that we're seeing it move from there, but it's one of the things our organization is committed to.
0: You know, it's, uh, it, we all know it takes place to this very day, and we'll touch upon this point later on. But while we're in the business of exposing some of Israel's best-kept secrets and telling the stories never told, which, like you said, Umisani, you're not going to find on the cover page of CNN or, or uh, Times, New York Times— I want to ask you about another secret. Many people attribute the Black-Jewish relations and collaboration to MLK and the civil rights movement, the famous photo of Rabbi Heschel of blessed memory with the leaders of the movement. But that goes actually way back, even before that. Share a little bit about
1: that point. When you're talking about Black-Jewish synergy in the United States, you can go all the way back to the abolitionist movement. Some of the abolitionists were actually Jews. They were usually religious people, Jews or Christians, fighting for the freedom and the emancipation of Blacks who were slaves in the country. And so what you see post-slavery, the great thinkers that are coming out of the Black community, the W.B. Bois, the Booker T. Washington, they are working closely with the Jewish community. We recognize that it was Jews and Black people who formed the NAACP. This is all part of the earlier part of the 19th, of the 20th century. Jews what, who, yes. who
0: were part of forming the NAACP.
1: Yes, absolutely. Some of the first leaders were together. This was a joint venture of Jewish and Black Americans forming the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, the oldest civil rights organization in the world, right? This was formed by Jews who saw at tikkun olam. They, they saw how their... Uh, fellow Americans were being treated. They recognized some of them, for example, as we're going right to it, Julius Rosenwald, who worked with Booker T. Washington, right, to form Rosenwald schools. They became affectionately known as Rosenwald schools. Why? Because Booker T. Washington, one of the great leaders of the Black community, who had come out of all of this oppression. He's working now closely with with Julius Rosenwald, who reaches out to him. And why does he reach out to Booker T. Washington? He reaches out to him because he sees the oppression of Black people and where he's living in the Chicago area, right? And he's he's actually, Julius Rosenwald is sending his own money to help the Jews of Russia. And he's saying to himself, I'm helping my brethren across the ocean and I have humanity right here who needs help. And his a rabbi was MLG Hirsch who is also one of the founding members of the NAACP. He encourages Julius Rosenwald to work with Booker T. Washington and the Black community. Some 5,400 Rosenwald schools are built throughout the segregated South, which helped turn the tide of history, even in the United States. You have millions of young Black students who didn't have access to schools because of segregation. It was the Black-Jewish synergy of Washington and Rosenwald that actually helped alleviate that. This is a generation before Dr. King, wasn't even born until 1929. This was in 1912.
0: I'm incredible. I hope all of our viewers are taking notes because this is so important to know the history in order to know the present and hopefully build a better future. I want to ask you about the current state of affairs. You know, we're seeing the kind of ignorance and I don't want to say malice coming from, you know, people like Whoopi Goldberg who talk about the Holocaust is not about race. We're seeing anti-Semitic attacks. We're seeing the attacks from some members of the black community who thinks it's 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 unjust. It's contradictory to the notion of social justice to stand side by side with Israel or view the Jewish uh, community with hostility. First of all, where do you think that originates from Um, and and what could be done to fix it? And again, how do you see the state of affairs at the moment?
1: Well, I'll do the last one first. The state of affairs is it's there are a lot of stressors that are there. Uh, But as I've said before, there's a lot of reason to be optimistic. So the state of affairs, there's a difficult thing that's happening right now, and mainly because of the prevailing narrative in terms of media. This is part of the issue, which goes back to your first one. This was not an issue. Dr. King in 1968, uh, in his meeting with the rabbis, just literally 10 days before he was killed, he was with the rabbinical assembly on March 25th, 1968. And they asked him a very similar question that you just asked, Shahara. They are beginning to see small but growing signs of anti-Semitism out of the Black community, something they had never seen before, right? This was something very foreign to them, and the rabbis were asking him why, and they had a long conversation about culture and race and Black Jewish relations in the rural areas versus the urban areas, those types of things. Very, very I, I recommend people go to the rabbinicalassembly.org read the whole document. It is a fa- it's only 13 pages, but it's fascinating, right? But one of the things that they talked about was the antagonism coming at the Jewish people from outside of the Black community and influencing. In other words, you have a situation where the PLO, although Yasser Arafat doesn't become chairman until 1969, the PLO, as you know, is formed in 1964, right? And it's formed and this is all documented. It's a KG disinformation campaign, right? And what's one of the things that it does it tries to stir up hostility towards Israel and the Jews among different communities. And one of their favorite targets became the Black community in the United States. Why? Because of the very synergy that you and I were talking about. I often tell the young people, one of the ways that you know that what you have is valuable is that a robber is always trying to take it, right? One of the ways that Israel's enemies knew that the Black Jewish synergy was valuable is that they kept attacking it over and over and over again. They knew that it was strong. They knew that it blessed people the world right so when they saw that and it also gave israel not that it needed legitimacy right but now that you have this jewish state that not only has risen like a phoenix from the ashes but look at all the work it's doing in africa look at what work is doing with the black community and so israel's enemies see that and go we have to do something about that this is one of the reasons i tell people often anti-semitism anti-zionism Focused on the Black community. That's why we use the term the exploitation. Those, those talking heads, unfortunately, like the Louis Farrakhans and others, they've never spoken for a majority of the Black community, but unfortunately, their voices have often gone unopposed in the Black community. They get venerated by certain parts of the media, and so it gives this, this, this impression that somehow Black people are following along with the Jew hatred, and it's simply not true.
0: And um, what do you see on the ground? Because you're a great traveler. You're going all over, um, speaking, talking, encouraging, creating, being very active in the scene. What do you see on the ground that the uh, mainstream media is not telling us?
1: What they are all, honestly, Shahar, consistently missing is that Black Jewish energy that we talked about has continued throughout. It, I see rabbis and Black pastors, community leaders working together, whether it's in situations in neighborhoods whether it's in terms of economic situation, education situations. I was just in Chicago a few weeks ago with my friend, Pastor Corey Brooks in South Chicago. He's He actually, his church is right there in what Chicago sometimes called the most dangerous block in all of Chicago, right? He's doing amazing work, saving many lives and he works closely with the Jewish community. I see that in LA, I see that in Florida. I see that all over the place. Unfortunately, as the old saying goes, if it bleeds, it leaves. The media is uninterested in those things, right? They're un. Uninter- in the bridges that are being built. They're uninterested in the help that's actually happened. You have Black and Jewish synergy that continues to positively impact lives. And this is why we're so encouraged and why our organization is committed to both telling those stories, venerating those stories and putting them out. And we say that not only is this happening now, this is a long legacy. This is nothing new at all. Go back to Dr. King, go back to Booker T. Washington. This has always been the case. Dr. King said himself, there's been no other ethnic group more present in the Negro struggle for justice than the Jew. Those are his own words. This continues to be the case, and that's why we're encouraged.
0: You know, I'm, I'm thrilled that you're here to remind all of us of this current state of affairs, because if you monitor what the media covers, just like you said, if it bleeds, it leads. You... Um, there is actually a great feeling of despair that's instilled yeah. within you when you all—all all that you hear is, you know, images of these attacks or BLM's uh, attacks on Israel or Whoopi Goldberg's ignorant comments. I mean, you think to yourself, "Where do we go from here?" And then you come uh, to the stage to counter that propaganda through the great work that you do, which leads me to the next question: of Please enlighten us about your work and Ipsy's work to counter these false narratives on Israel and the Jewish community. What do you do? and what's your goal?
1: Well, the Institute for Black Solidarity with Israel has three main branches. One is content, whether that's videos and other things that we put out to educate and inform. Speakers Bureau, whether whether it's preaching in a church or speaking in a synagogue or all across the country, colleges to make sure that we're both doing it and raising up young speakers to do it. And then also what we call our PEACE initiative, the Plan for Education, Advocacy, and Community Engagement. That's where PEACE comes from. And what we're actually doing in that initiative, we are actively recruiting young Black American and African men and women across the country who will go through a very, very rigorous and detailed uh, uh, teaching exercise. We're going to actually teach about this relationship. Ancient Israel, modern Israel, the United Nations in Israel, Africa and Israel, they'll have all this information. They will do two things after. They will travel to Africa, South Africa will be our first destination where we actually see that Black Jewish synergy there. And we chose that purposely, why that was the birthplace of the whole BDS against Israel, the modern part of the BDS. Our Jewish friends know obviously much more about BDS even long before 2001 Durban, right? But the modern iteration will go there and then eventually travel to the Holy Land and see the modern and ancient place of what Israel is, the technological wonder that it is, the relationship between Israelis and Palestinians, what actually happens on the ground there. And then they will return to their homes and be what we call IBC ambassadors. They will be the hub of Black Jewish synergy in their cities. They will be a wellspring of right correct information when it comes to the Black-Jewish-Africa-Israel relationship. And we believe, Shahar, that as we're able to do this across the country, will continue to in- in positively impact. We don't believe that reinventing a wheel what we believe we're doing is returning to what was effective a generation before. When we look at a Booker T. Washington and Julius Rosenwald, or Dr. King and a Rabbi Heschel, we see these communities coming together to solve practical problems that needed to be addressed, a real tikkun olam, right? a real coming together, not being forced to, not some sort of government th- you know, th- telling them, you better do this, that, and the other, but actually people on the ground saying, hey, this issue needs to be addressed. We- we believe that that's the case, whether it's an education, whether it's in crime, there's different things that are happening in particularly disenfranchised Black communities across the country. And what we found, and I'll say it again, the people who are most willing to stand up and say, I'm willing to help our Jewish brothers. and so I'll give you one quick story. In Chicago, after the, the George Floyd killing, and then there was the, the protest. And of course, it happened in Minneapolis, but it spreads out. In Chicago, some of my close Jewish friends that are there, as well as the Black pastors that are there you had a lot of, unfortunate after the protest, you also had riots. You had a lot of destruction, right? One of my Jewish friends reaches out to me, Pastor Dumisani. I to, I've gotten my friends together and we see some of the stores and everything. We know she was thinking these mothers are gonna get up the next morning. There's no store to buy diapers, to buy formula. She goes, rents a huge moving truck. She's never driven one before. Gets a donation of some 20, $30,000, goes, gets the truck, Gets this from her Jewish community friends, goes to the other stores across the town, fills the truck up with food and with diapers and with it, and she drives it there to the communities that have been dispossessed. And I'm telling people, the media will never report on this. Never. But I see it all the time. I see it all the time. The first people in line. The fire that happened in Brooklyn a few weeks ago. It, it, a lot of people got affected. There were some Muslim community members there. The Muslim leader himself said the first people on the ground with donations would help were the Jewish community that always. Shahar, you and I know it happens all the time. Our community, our organization is committed to telling that story and strengthening those communities as well. And can I say one last thing? I don't want people to think that I'm dismissing it, yes. The attacks that are happening in places like Brooklyn, sadly, most of the time, those are black men coming against Jews often because of the disinformation. They've heard these lies about Jews stealing the birthright of the true Black Hebrew Israelites type of thing. They've heard these lies about Jews being the ones who have dispossessed that type of thing. Unfortunately, that's part of the vacuum that got created, that got filled with a lot of disinformation and everything. It's not the prevailing story, but it does happen. And we are aware of that as well and working with Black community leaders to make sure that proper information is going out.
0: So, Dumisani,
1: why don't
0: we hear your voice, that kind of voices, those kind of voices from the um, black community when it comes to Israel and the Jewish community? Why do we see these anti-Semitic attacks takes place? And all that we hear on the Twitterverse and the social media and the media would be members of the Jewish community who are, who are bemoaning the attacks, but not enough that comes out. Why? Why is this gap?
1: There are two main reasons. One of those is because for some some in the black community, we've seen this before, there's not enough of a confidence to actually speak to these issues, right? There's a, whether you wanna call it a fear, whether you call it a certain amount of inhibition, right? So there's a concern that if I'm stepping into this arena It's something that I'm not prepared for. We have this conversation when it comes to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. We have Black pastors, leaders come and say, I don't believe what the media is saying is accurate, but Pastor Misani, I don't feel confident enough to say X, Y, and Z. So we try to work on that area. Unfortunately, the other reason, Shahar is actually connected to Whoopi Goldberg's very grossly misinformed statements. She is applying what we often call a very twisted narrative when it comes to race and ethnicity. Right. And I might be stepping on some line lines here, but I'll take responsibility for my what we call the, the woke ideology, the mindset that somehow a critical race theory approach to life is a good thing. And ladies and gentlemen, for those who might get offended by that. We are completely for the authentic telling of history, right? As a matter of fact, in our organization, we criticize much of the education in our country for not telling the whole story. Tell the whole story about how the Black soldiers helped in this and how how Black politicians and other and Latino and Asian. Why? Because that's the real story of America. And leaving those stories out are really, it's very, very bad. At the same time, when critical race theory becomes the hatred of white people, that's not helpful to anyone, right? You're simply demonizing people. And when that happens, unfortunately, many people see Jews as white. That binary discussion becomes white, bad, Black good, right? White oppressed oppressor, black oppressed, that's a very, very simplistic way of looking at the world, Shahar. Well you and I know there's no nuance that's there, there's no truth that's actually there. So in answer to your question, if then Jews are being accosted by people of color, right? then that becomes a wash because, oh, well, if the Jews are the oppressors, then that's okay. And we see the danger in that. We see the lethalness of that. So Whoopi Goldberg, do I think she's an anti-Semite? No, I don't know her personally. She doesn't seem to be a hateful person. But why was she saying so dangerous and just rolled off of her tongue? Because she's from a mentality that Nazis equal white. Jews equal white, simply therefore it was just white on white crime, no big deal. Instead of a genocide of a people in which the Nazis saw the Jews not only as a race, but as an inferior race and sought to exterminate them. This is the danger of that mentality and why the prevailing nature of it is also dangerous.
0: It's amazing that somebody uh, such as Whoopi Goldberg would not see the most oppressed people in the world for thousands of years, as the Jews have gone through so much suffering on the different corners of the earth. And I remember the words again, bigotry in any form is an affront to us all. You know, Dumisani, you're talking about demonization. I mm-hmm. want to touch upon the Amnesty International Report that mm-hmm. accused Israel of being a an apartheid state, and this time not just when it comes to the West Bank um, or, or Gaza, but mm-hmm. even insinuating that it is very much so when it comes to Israel itself, you know, the uh, recognized international Israeli borders of pre-1967. And I want to ask you for your opinion. How do you view these accusations, these uh, campaigns to diligence the one and only Jewish state and how do we counter when a so-called human rights organization comes out with so many lies and libels?
1: The Amnesty International which has a long track record of anti-Semitism and, 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 and hatred for Israel, a lot of biased reporting and unfortunately it's supposed to be a human rights organization like, like the Human Rights Council of the United Nations and so we did pick it apart as 2, 211 pages of just anti-Semitism, right? distortions, lies, all of those things Uh, And of the many things that it does, it's amazing, I say this in the article, it does what we call the double speak on the one hand, it tries to give, an, Amnesty International tries to give a nod and says that they're not claiming that what's going on in Israel is comparable to what happened in South Africa. Then on the other hand, they say, yes, but it's apartheid, right? Apartheid is a Dutch word that exclusively explains what the racial oppression was of Black people in South Africa. So for use that term and also say that you don't really mean that term, we see that kind of double speak, And unfortunately, that's how uh, Amnesty International continues to push this forward so there's a lot of flaws in it we wrote we wrote that article and we also make the point that when it comes to that type of appropriation right when it comes to israel's haters using things like jim crow segregation which is what my family experienced apartheid which is what olga's family experienced not only is it not true about the only free and democratic nation in the middle east there right? but it's also a stealing, it's an erasing of what we actually, what Whoopi Goldberg did in erasing the Holocaust and its real implications is actually what people are doing when they call Israel an apartheid state. There are people, my daughter-in-law was just saying, there are still mothers and fathers to this day who don't know where their children are because they were abducted or somehow killed or somehow whatever happened to them during apartheid South Africa. Those wounds are still very much open. So for Israel's enemies to just callously and just hatefully use the term apartheid to apply to a place where Arabs are free and they they vote in elections, they serve in parliament. I understand you correct me if I'm wrong, it was an Arab Supreme Court justice who threw a former Israeli prime minister in jail because of whatever happened legally. Once again, none of that is apartheid. A black South African would have never served on the Supreme Court during apartheid. So this is very, very hateful and it's very, very harmful where these things are still happening like the genocide that's happening in Nigeria right now or the slave trade that's happening in Libya right now. It causes, organizations like Amnesty International to be unconcerned about true oppression and injustice in the world. How do
0: people get in touch, get to know of all the wonderful things that you do? Where should they
1: go? The, the central location, everyone, is to our website, ibsi-now.org, ibsi-now.org. And you can find from there where our social media presence is, because we're on Instagram, we're on Twitter, we're on Facebook. Uh, sometimes on LinkedIn, on my particular account. Uh, And so you can get more information about our peace initiative. You can get more information about our videos that are upcoming. You can also join our emailing list as well. We send out a newsletter about once or twice a week to give our followers information about what's going on, different events that are happening. So if you wanna know about those things, go to our website, you can get all of the information.
0: Thank you so much, Dumisani. I want to thank you personally. Um, your, your work is tremendous. I want to thank you for joining us today on JBS. Your words are powerful. They're strong. Your heart is strong. And so is your important mission and leadership on this important issue. Um, you know, We're happy to have allies such as yourself striving to do no more and no, no less than spread light and justice around the world. Keep up the great work and all the best to your wonderful, amazing family.
1: Thank you, Shahar. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it.
0: And to all of you, I'd like to say, stay safe, stay happy, stay healthy, and stay on course, fighting for justice and what's right, not just for the Jewish people or Black communities, but for people everywhere. For humanity must shine stronger than any dark force that tries to oppress it. I'd like to thank our director, Sloan Copeland, JBS's managing director, Dara Golub, our technical manager, Michael Paley, transmission manager, John McDevitt, and to our wonderful producer of In the News, Carol Lilienthal. For JBS, I'm Shahrazani, Until next time, Shalom and Leitrao.